KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Good morning, I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Tuesday, May 9th. Local leaders are asking for help ahead of the end of Title 42. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. Two new safe sleeping sites will open in the city of San Diego later this year. The sites will be a place for people living on the streets to set up tents. They will have security, bathrooms, provide meals, and connect people to resources. The first site is expected to open in July, and the second site this fall. Councilmember Stephen Whitburn says the safe sleeping sites are a critical addition to the ordinance he proposed that would prohibit people from setting up encampments in certain areas in all public property, if shelter beds are available. A City Council committee forwarded the ordinance to the full council with no recommendation. Eastbound 78 is back open after more than a month of closures. It was closed for emergency repairs after a sinkhole formed during the winter storms. But Caltrans says work will continue on the 78 between the 5 and 15. Everett Townsend is Caltrans Chief Deputy Director for Maintenance and Operations for San Diego and Imperial Counties. This project will not only help ensure that the roadway is protected from drainage impacts, but will also improve roadway quality, function, and service life. He says any closures will happen overnight to avoid affecting people's daytime commutes. KUSI TV is being sold for $35 million to Nexstar Media Group. The independent TV station has operated in San Diego for over 40 years. Nexstar owns the CW Network and Fox 5 San Diego. The deal could open the door for KUSI to become a CW affiliate station. The acquisition still needs to go through regulatory approvals, but Nexstar officials expect the deal to close later this year. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Title 42 is coming to an end on Thursday. Reporter Kitty Alvarado spoke with local leaders to find out if they're ready for the influx of migrants. Thousands of people from around the world who have been prevented from seeking asylum under the emergency COVID law must be processed and allowed in starting Thursday. Right now, the county is not prepared financially or otherwise to endure having a thousand people street released every day. That's San Diego County District 2 Supervisor Joel Anderson. We have estimates that say maybe we get 100 people a day being street released. 
And then we have others that say it could be as much as uh, a thousand or 10,000. So we don't know. But if FEMA was here, I'd rather be overprepared than underprepared. And let's do an outstanding job. Vino Paginor, the CEO of Catholic Charities of San Diego and Imperial County, says his organization is just one NGO that is helping, and they alone can process about 1,500 people a day, and most of them end up staying a day or less at their shelter. But he says they too have been left guessing about how the process will work, and they're asking the federal government to help control the flow of people. If there is a surge and they are not able to hold them to ensure that we create, whether it is the county or the city, that are temporary overflow locations instead of people being on the streets. Customs and Border Protection did not respond to our request for comment. Kitty Alvarado, KPBS News. Anderson has since learned that San Diego County expects to receive $33 million in federal funding, but he says they still need FEMA support to help process migrants. What would happen if there was no child care? Likely, total economic upheaval. Reporter Tanya Thorne says that's the point child care providers and parents wanted to make yesterday at an event called A Day Without Child Care. In San Diego, members from the Child Care Providers Union organized the event. They say child care providers should get better pay. Rosa Estrada has been a child care provider for 18 years. A pesar de que no tenemos beneficios tales como pues de retiro, vacaciones, este realmente hemos querido, hemos estado aquí. She says that even though she doesn't get benefits like retirement or vacation time, she's been there to help families. La verdad que el income que tenemos es pues es demasiado ridículo. She says the income they get is ridiculous. Child care workers hope their voices can be heard to pave way for legislation that supports affordable care and quality jobs for care workers. Tanya Thorne, KPBS News. For generations, their fur was worn on collars and coats, and they've been portrayed as sly, conniving, wily characters in popular culture. But as my colleague Maya Trabolsi reports, a rescue sanctuary in Santa Isabel wants to show the world that foxes, although mischievous, have so much more to share, including their potentially life-saving skills. The stillness on this hilltop in Santa Isabel doesn't last long, as the sounds of woodland creatures provide nature's concert. Their home is the Judith A. Bassett Canid Center, and the work being done here could be groundbreaking. Dog trainer Anita Cheeseman is not working with dogs today. This is Dimitri. She's training foxes to do nose work, detecting specific odors inside plastic boxes. He made a U-turn because he smelled the odor, and now he found it, and he looks to me for his reward. Cheeseman lives up to her name and provides a morsel of cheese with each positive odor detection. These foxes have a unique talent that could one day save lives. Good boy. These are no ordinary foxes. These are Russian domesticated foxes. Amy and Dave Bassett, who own and run this conservation center, care for 14 of them, brought over from Russia 10 years ago. At that point, no one had ever brought one to the United States. The foxes were part of what is called the Russian Domesticated Fox Program, started by Soviet scientist Dmitry Belayev in the 1950s. His goal was to recreate the evolution of wolf to domesticated pet dog, a process that took thousands of years. But with foxes, 
He wanted to do it in a matter of decades. The foxes evolved to behave more like dogs. They'd breed only the most friendly ones. Found after about 10 generations or so, they were actually were getting more friendly. The foxes were excited to see people. They'd come up and wag their tails. Unlike a wild or fur farm bred fox, these domesticated foxes are not timid and resemble the behavior of human-loving dogs. They're happy to see us and even enjoy being held, kissed, and treated like babies. So why is this type of nose detection work so important to the Bassets? The answer lies in the unique way foxes hunt. Their hearing is very well attuned to hearing the types of frequencies of things under the snow. And while their noses are highly sensitive and their hearing extraordinary, it's something else that seemingly sets them apart as hunters. It's called magnetoreception, a trait whereby they can see the magnetic field of the Earth and align their bodies for precision. So we said, well, that works perfect for avalanche rescue because someone's stuck under the snow and they're kind of moving around and that's what they're designed to detect that. If we can train them to do search and rescue work, to do avalanche rescue, boy, would people see them in a different light. The Bassets say too many people see foxes as animals to be killed for their fur or for sport. They want foxes to be seen as creatures with a positive purpose. You can call it Fox PR. If we actually had them seen as saviors and, you know, going into like you can imagine an earthquake and somebody comes down off of the helicopter with their six foxes all strapped around them and showing people their skill set and finding things underneath the ground, it would really give people a different perspective of them. But first, there are biological and geopolitical challenges. The Russian program was partially funded by the NIH, but since the invasion of Ukraine, those ties have been cut. This means, at least for now, no more foxes can be imported into the United States. If they go extinct there, they're extinct. The Bassets say the foxes are also considered a source of pride and their genetics intellectual property of the Russian government. So each one is sterilized to discourage any breeding outside of the Russian program. But even through generations of domestication, one little genetic hurdle remains. Bad girl. No, you're not going to do that. No, 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 you can't bite that one. The fox's curious and mischievous nature stands true. Yes, I know, guys. You've never eaten before in your life. And since they don't have the same recall as dogs, the Bassets say releasing them to rescue people at this point is a dicey proposition. Yeah, they may run and find your people, but then they're going to go, okay, well, now we're going to go look for some mice. The key, he says, is to train them as young pups. But it remains to be seen if the Bassets will get access to pups anytime soon. Even so, they're holding out hope that we could one day see these animals saving human lives. When people say you can't teach a fox to do search and rescues, we say, just watch us. Maya Trabulsi. Good girl. KPBS News. And the Bassett's added that owning a pet fox is illegal in most states, including in California. Coming up, our KPBS Metro reporter joins me to talk about his new podcast, Freeway Exit. We'll have that and more just after the break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, 
Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. KPBS News is out with a new podcast today. Let's take a listen to the trailer for Freeway Exit. From KPBS in San Diego, I'm Andrew Bowen, and I want to talk to you about freeways. Here in Southern California, and a lot of the rest of the country, freeways are the backbone of our transportation system. Many of us drive on them almost every day, and few of us can remember a time without them. As a city and as a society, I think we're moving past the era of abundant freeways. Despite all of the great opportunity they provide, we can't ignore the social and environmental impacts that come along with them. Most of our freeways were completed decades ago, but we're still paying for them with a lot more than just dollars and cents. Some of us pay with our health, we're fighting for immigration rights. We're fighting for, you know, against police brutality. We're fighting all these things, and we're just slowly being killed and not even knowing about it. All of us pay with our environment and quality of life. There's lots of particulates in the air, and they're all drifting down into this area. Of course, it's noisy. And of course, we pay with our time. Northbound 805 Heavy, National City to the 163 from a couple of earlier accidents. Sound 15. Freeways are a part of our history. We are pushing ahead with a great road program. A road program that will take this nation out of its antiquated shackles of secondary roads all over this country and give us the types of highways that we need. A history that's largely been forgotten. They had did everything they were supposed to do. Uh, but they were losing their homes, and they were losing their memories. Freeways are not free. They're also not forever. That is the Cypress section of the Nimitz Freeway, and you can see, oh my God, look at that. Um, the freeway has just completely collapsed. And joining me to talk about it is creator and host Andrew Bowen, who is also the Metro reporter here at KPBS. Andrew, welcome. Hi, Debbie. Thanks. How did you come up with the idea for this podcast? So over the last seven or eight years, I've been watching a really growing chasm between what the city of San Diego says it's going to do about climate change and what it actually is doing. So last summer, the city adopted this goal of net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2035. That means over the next 12 years, we are supposed to be gradually lowering our carbon footprint down to zero. And 
just last month, the city council voted to widen a freeway, which we know is going to increase greenhouse gas emissions. So freeways are really at the center of this debate around climate change. They're, uh, you know, we're debating uh, infrastructure, our quality of life. There's so much around freeways that we still haven't decided yet or that we're still disagreeing over. Um, They're a part of our culture and our history. And so it just really seemed like a good time to dig a bit deeper into this subject matter and put it all in a podcast. Having done a good amount of reporting on transportation issues previously, was there anything that you were surprised to learn? I was really surprised to learn about all the places in San Diego County that almost became freeways but actually didn't. So, uh, you know, in some cases it was because the state just ran out of money. They couldn't afford to keep on building these freeways and at the same time maintaining them. In other cases, there were actually grassroots protest movements that, you know, people got together and said, no, we don't want our communities torn apart by these freeways. Up until the 70s, for example, uh, San Diego was still still considering putting a freeway through Balboa Park, uh, through the golf course, and then through Switzer Canyon, which is a really beloved hiking trail, uh, through this section of North Park that has some really beautiful historic homes, and then connecting it to Interstate 805. This was actually a plan that was on the books, and I think most people today would look at that plan and absolutely be horrified. Uh, So... I think it's worth putting ourselves back into these minds of of the engineers and the urban planners who had these plans on the books. What were they thinking? What was going through their minds? And how did they get things so wrong when they were, uh, you know, projecting, we're going to solve traffic with our freeways? Well, we have a lot of traffic nowadays. And and so it's worth thinking back to how people were approaching these problems in the mid-20th century. And, you know, what can we learn from that? And what else do you hope listeners take away from the podcast? I hope people will have some ownership over these public spaces. You know, we're not allowed to walk on them uh, for safety reasons, obviously. Um, but there are a few times when when they close down a freeway and and they and Caltrans will let people, um, you know, get on them and, and just explore a little bit. Uh, you know, that's um, going to be happening uh, for the Rock and Roll Marathon on the 163 through Balboa Park. I hope people uh, start to see freeways as something not just uh, to drive through, but a place to actually stay and consider what this place used to be and uh, start thinking about the future of, you know, how we are going to, what are we going to do with these massive public spaces that are really owned by us, the people. Okay, very good. And how can people listen to the podcast? So the first two episodes are streaming now. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, on uh, any podcast platform or app, uh, also kpbs.org slash freewayexit. One episode will be premiering per week. We've got six total, so the final one will be premiering on June 6th. I've been speaking with KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen, the creator and host of the new KPBS podcast, Freeway Exit. Andrew, it was so nice speaking with you. I'm looking forward to listening to your new podcast. Thanks so much, Debbie. Tonight, Digital Gym Cinema kicks off Science on Screen, a series of four films that will each be paired with a guest speaker. Film critic Beth Accomando previews the series. Science on Screen uses imagined futures to explore a current range of issues from race to AI. First up is Alfonso Cuaron's Children of Men. It depicts normalized violence to people of color and undocumented migrants. Refugees studies researcher Shevin Sonich says the movie is no longer futuristic sci-fi. 
One thing that I'm really hoping to achieve is making people notice that such a dark dystopian future is actually the reality for millions of people. And it makes us empathize more and maybe look deep down in ourselves to understand what brings hope to us. It is one of the main questions that the movie is dealing with. You know, there are all this despair and hopelessness. And within those, that violence and the horrible conditions that they are subject to, they are trying to find meaning to what's going on and find the meaning so that they would have a hope for a future. And very cleverly, the boat that they are trying to reach is named Tomorrow. So what brings hope, what brings a hopeful tomorrow for us is the question that I really want to discuss with the audience and maybe get their opinions and leave everyone with, the, with a very strong feeling of maybe we should hope more. Next week's film Technola stars Tilda Swinton as a scientist who clones herself. Max Schaefer is in UCSD's Integrative Studies program, where they combine music technology and gender research. They see the film raising questions about genetic engineering. I think the movie presents itself in this sort of like non-serious, almost like 2000s aesthetic that feels a little different, feels a little bit more like the kind of like hacker movie or like the sort of post-Matrix movie. And it does so in that sort of kind of artsy, but but low budget look. <laughs> but at the same time, it's presenting like pretty serious questions around, you know, there's concepts like, can you patent life? Can you patent a genome? Which people are still trying to actually figure out if you can do. Can you have sort of these, these birthed children by accident out of sort of AI technologies, out of genome technologies that maybe achieve a level of humanity that makes you kind of wonder if you're even allowed to parent it or allowed to control it or whatever. So I think all that stuff kind of comes up in the film that I think makes it interesting. Expect these questions and more at Science on Screen at Digital Gym Cinema in East Village every Tuesday in May. Beth Accomando, KPBS News. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great Tuesday. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a blend of computer science, statistics, and domain expertise. Learn more about University of California San Diego's online Master of Data Science program at omds.ucsd.edu.